Hey guys, this is Ryan Grow with Lifeway Films, and recently I had the pleasure of watching Someone Like You, which is a film by Karen Kingsbury, and I was blown away. This film really illustrated some beautiful concepts that are, that are really packaged in a gospel-centric framework. You're going to walk out of the theater feeling good, encouraged in your faith, and really this movie helps provide a framework for forgiveness and walking through tough times. So if you get a chance, I would encourage you, go to someonelikeyou.movie, and while you're there, sign up for Karen's A-list. You can purchase tickets, learn more about the movie, see the trailer. That's someonelikeyou.movie. I think you'll really enjoy this film. Welcome back to the show. This is Karen Kingsbury, and yes, I have written so many stories, but I've never told mine. I've never done that, and so this podcast is my chance to share with you some of the details of my story that you might not know, including this one. Now today, on episode six, how would you like a brother from Haiti, Yes. right? I have an, a special guest with me back again, and that's my amazing husband of 35 years, the love of my life, Donald Russell. Yay. And I'm so glad to be back for episode six. Yeah, I know. I had Missy and Scott last week, and they, they said to say hi, by the way. They're amazing. Good friends of ours. Um, last week, we talked about the Baxters and how they came to be, and with the Reeves had some, you know, Scott is so yes. funny. <laughs> He's hilarious. So we had some very funny moments there. But, you know, the Baxters uh, in 2001 kind of coincided with some other massive event in our lives, and that was the decision to adopt. Wow, what a journey that was, right? That was, uh, I mean, almost out of the blue, it seemed like. Yeah, like only God could have, you know, in a way we talk about things in life where you couldn't stop it if you wanted to. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, that's because I got that from you. That was one of those, definitely one of those things where... Wait, adopt, or you just kind of mention, and then the Holy Spirit goes, okay. Yeah. And then just. Yeah. And it sort of happened, we didn't realize, we never talked about adoption. It wasn't something we carried around. Like some people go through high school going, one day I'm going to get married and I'm going to adopt kids. That wasn't our story. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we talked about Austin in an earlier episode about Austin's heart surgery and the idea that you never know when the lasts are going to happen. But with him, he survived that heart surgery, and we have the blessing of him in our life now, and he's healthy and doing well. But at the time, we knew that he would need a lot of medical care. And the doctor actually said that if um, you have other kids, they're going to have this kind of a heart problem or even maybe something worse. And you and I talked about it. uh, We had a five-year gap between Tyler and us. We had Kelsey, and then three years later, Tyler. And then we had Austin five years after that, and his story was was crazy because we never thought he was going to be a girl, and then he was a boy born with a, a defected a defective heart, congenital heart defect. So we were looking at our family composition, and God had blessed us so much financially uh, with the Baxters. And we said, I wonder if we would have room in our hearts and in our home. Um, to be able to adopt a child. And that's kind of where it started, and we yes. wanted to keep the birth order. Mm-hmm. Why was that important? Well, we just, you know, we already had, like you said, Kelsey and Tyler and Austin. There was such that gap. But we just, like you said, we, we both thought at the same time, we still have love to give, and we wanted yeah. to have more yeah. kids if, that's, if that was God's will. And, and what uh, about the birth order, though? I really want to hear you ask. I want to hear you talk about that. Like, Kelsey well, I just think it was you know. important because rather than, 
you know, we adopt somebody older than Kelsey. Well, she was always the oldest. Right. And she was the girl. I agreed with and then, that. And then Austin was the youngest. So I just, you know, I don't know, birth order, so to speak, you know, if it sets her life tone. Right. But I just thought it was important to, you know, for the natural born kids, this is where they were. And Tyler, the oldest son. The oldest son. Right. That's right. And so a five-year gap there, and mm-hmm. so we began to look, and we got in touch with a social worker, and initially we looked in the United States, and we thought we would adopt a child from social services that had been you know, abandoned or didn't have so parents for some reason. And so she led us on a one-year journey where we did the home study, and we, we asked the kids. We kind of made it a family thing. We said, yes. you know, we are thinking about bringing in more children. And by then, because Kelsey really, really wanted a sister, of course, and Austin was supposed to be a girl. Yeah. So she didn't. <laughs> you remember that moment? There was like that moment. I remember that um, Tyler and Kelsey were in the in the hospital room when baby Austin was born. And, you know, baby Austin is sitting there in his little bassinet lying there, and Tyler is holding his hand, and Tyler looks over at Kelsey, because all this time we thought we were having a girl. And so Tyler looks over at Kelsey, and he says, don't worry, we'll play with you. (laughs) And I thought, oh, and she was even making deals, like, oh, the neighbor's pregnant. If she has a girl, I wonder if we could just sort of switch. You know, at eight years old, that was a logical thing for her to think. And, of course, she's best friends with her brothers and all of that worked out just fine. But wanting to have you know, a sister at the time, by the time we had Austin, she said, you know what, I'm good to be the only girl. Mm-hmm. And she and I took our mother-daughter dates and had so many best days ever that she knew. She knew at eight years old, like, I want to be the only girl. I'm good. Like, yes, let's adopt. She was adopt. a princess. She was a princess, and yes. it was perfect. So you know, that was sort of her sense was let's adopt more brothers. Brothers are a lot of fun. And, of course, the boys were all for that. So this sweet social worker takes us on this journey and, you know, we, we do the home study and she's introducing us to this case or this case. And it seemed like whenever there was a child available for adoption between the ages of like two and, and seven in that gap, that either they would be immediately adopted because there'd be someone who was, you know, was struggling with fertility and could adopt that child or else, sadly, they were so damaged Right. And By I, remember, I just remember the system, yeah. The stab of the heart, just thinking, wow, we got to really pray and for those kids because the, the things yeah. that they've had to see. And Well, that's it. You know, our system is, is pretty broken. And I know there's a lot of people who devote their lives to it and are trying, but it seems to favor the parent. Yes. You know, and even when the parent is um, badly broken, terribly addicted to drugs, babies, you know, addicted to drugs and born that way. And yet the parents keep having more rights and the kids grow up, you know, they're growing up like a suitcase sitting, waiting for somebody to figure out what to do with them. Right. So that's a hard thing. Lots of loving people who are in the foster care system, Mm -hmm. lots of people who are social workers that are are loving and trying, but it just overall, you know, because like this woman said, she said, if you adopt a child this broken, number one, you'll be in and out of you know, medical facilities and psychological facilities for the entire child's the entire life of the child. But mainly, this child would be a risk, a dangerous risk to your youngest. Right. And we actually advise that if you're going to bring a child like this home, um, you should not have any younger children. So we were going nowhere. It was a year of that. And finally, at the end of the year, I remember her coming over. She was in the kitchen and we were chatting like, maybe we should just be done. Maybe we're, we're wrong. And we didn't hear God, you know, right? And maybe we just, three kids, and that's perfect. 
We had a great family. Our family, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't like we had a hole in our hearts. No. That, you know, we had a beautiful, incredibly fun family, but we just felt we had something to share. And so she said, let me tell you about this orphanage in Haiti. It's called Heart of God Ministries. Kids range from zero to 18 at this orphanage. And at this, you know, there was just not a long line of people who are looking to adopt from Haiti right now. Um, and that that kind of comes and goes. So, you know, today it's very difficult to adopt from Haiti. But at the time, it was like a six to nine month process. And the price of the process, the cost of the adoption process was less by far than anywhere else. Now, we still, now we, you know, books were selling. Um, we, I was always kind of on the edge because, you know, I do about 15,000 books per book, you know, copies sold. And every, I feel like every year we looked at each other like, can I keep doing this book habit that I've developed? Can I keep, <laughs> book habit. <laughs> can I keep writing books? Because, you know, the four true crime books, but then we'd moved on to my first book that I wrote that was a fiction was called Where Yesterday Lives. And we've talked about that and Francine Rivers and how that happened. But now I'm several books in and the Baxters are, are happening and they're just taking off. So we finally had enough money to even consider this. But we didn't have a ton, so we knew. Here's what we had, right? Do you remember we had three thousand dollars in our savings, and we said, that "Okay, it. that was it. That was it. It was extra, and it was like, okay." Mm-hmm. And that was the. That's how much it cost to start the adoption process from Heart of God Ministries in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince, and so we prayed about it again. I, what I love about you, and I've said this, and I'll say it again: your faith is so sincere. It's so childlike. It's unwavering, truly unwavering. Like I've not seen you in a situation in our life, no matter what, whatever we've gone through, where you have wavered in your faith, Donald. I mean that. It's It's been a beautiful ride to see that unwavering faith. I mean, it's, it would make sense to have your faith waver, and I've never seen it. You just trust God so implicitly. So you you and I prayed, and you, you said, I remember you said, Lord, you can have this $3,000. Let it go to some beautiful child in Haiti who that family who's going to come to adopt them needs some help financially. So let it just go to the orphanage in general. Let it feed those kids. Let it give them heat and electricity, whatever they need. Um, but, Lord, if you want us to adopt, then you're going to need to provide the money because we just don't have it. Mm-hmm. So the Baxters were, were releasing it about this time, but it took about two books. I feel like Redemption was the first one. And then, of course, uh, Remember was book two. And I was at a book conference, and you didn't get to go to that one. Kelsey was with me, and um, I was writing for Tyndale at that point. And um, we had a big booth. It was when the International Christian Retail Show was a big deal. You know, 10,000 bookstores that were all over the country. And we have so—it's so sad that we've lost that. It's heartbreaking still. But back then, in the in the heyday of Christian bookstores, this big conference would happen— and every you know hour on the hour, pretty much an author would be at those different booths signing their new book, and it would be in advance of it releasing. And the um, <clears throat> the retailers would come, and they would line the booth. They would like circle the booth as they were waiting for that author. So I was at the booth. My book signing was about to happen, and it was. I remember um, Francine Rivers had had her book signing before me, <clears throat> and so she had already been. Already been there, and I can remember people running around. They were like dashing about the booth. It was a massive booth, took up a big spot on the conference floor, and they were saying, "Who's next? 
what is this line? It's going two times around this booth. What? It's huge. What is happening? There's 150 people in line. And I thought, oh my goodness, the Lord is showing me something here that I'd never seen before. The bookstore owners, the retailers were in love with the Baxters. And that had to happen before the readers could be, because only the retailers could put them on the shelves. So book one had happened, they had read it, now this was book two, and those re- those all those retailers, all those, you know, people who were either selling books or owning bookstores, they were in line because they wanted book two of the Baxters. And just like a waterfall, and this all happened at the same time, because I think we had, I don't know, 90 days before that, we had to complete the adoption process financially. So your prayer was like, Lord, take the money or provide the money. That's the only way we can move forward here. And then the Baxters just took off. It was like after that moment at that ICRS show, it was like a waterfall. And and like books were flying off the shelf and suddenly adopting a child would be no problem. And, and I can remember, um, I remember the, this day where you and I went on their website, on the Heart of God Ministries website, and because now it was real. We're going to be able to afford to do this, so let's look at let's look at the children that are at this actual orphanage. And there was this little boy <laughs> with sad eyes. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Yes. He was so precious, <clears throat> and he um, he was just darling. And he his name was Emmanuel Jean. Emmanuel Jean. So Emmanuel, God is with us. Mm-hmm. Emmanuel Jean. And we just both of us had this connection to him. It was late at night. We were looking into his face. And we thought, Lord, is this our son? What was your feeling? Well, I just remember, like you said, his eyes, seeing his eyes mm. and just thinking, gosh, there's something about him. And it just felt it felt right. I, I can't describe anything other than that. After praying about it and talking about it, and then and remember we had the picture, we would look at it, yeah. and put it away, and then <laughs> look at it again. We printed it. So mm-hmm. we printed yes. this picture, and then we took it to the kids. Show them, we I was going to say, show the kids. Yeah, we said, okay, so what would you think? How would you like a brother from Haiti? This little boy doesn't have any parents, and his parents, in fact, had died of a sickness before he was one. Mm-hmm. And he had been uh, raised by his grandmother, and his grandmother was sick and dying, and she had a dream that yes. a family from the United States was going to come and adopt Emmanuel. And so she took him to the orphanage, and she dropped him off there and said goodbye to him in a heartbreaking moment for him, I'm sure. And then he was there with that memory of his grandmother's dream. And so meanwhile, we didn't know that, how God works in all things, how he's weaving a story together. So we printed the picture, put it on the back of the chair like on, as if it, he were sitting at the table. <laughs> and uh, what do you think? How would you like a brother from Haiti? And do you remember... I, so much joy on our biological kids, just like jumping around and being so excited. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Tyler, especially like Austin was so little. He, I can, I can hear him still like brother, brother. Like he just wanted more boys in the family or more kids. He loved it. But Tyler, like I feel like he had tears in his eyes. And yes, well, and the fact that they got to vote on it, that they, right. they had a say in it too. This right. was, you know, we're all loving the Lord and we're going right. to do what he says, but what do you feel? Mm-hmm. And it was so, it was great to see them 
I guess yeah. for lack of a phrase, take ownership of like, yeah. well, no, I want a brother. I want, let's do that. And so you're right. They were just excited and almost yeah. like, okay, well, where is he? Yeah, where, where is he? Wait, wait, How wait. Do we get How do we make this happen? <laughs> yeah. Now they were young, you know, and there's a lot. It's, adoption is complicated. It is. It's um, like parenting AP. We've talked Not about for everybody. that. For, for, to use a teaching term, since you're a teacher. But it was. It's advanced. It's advanced parenting for sure. And it's not for everybody. And no. some people are called to do different things to help kids. But mm-hmm. in this particular situation, and as God was providing the money, clearly answering your prayer that you prayed in faith, it was like, well, obviously this is the right thing. It's what we're supposed to do. And um, But God provided so much in the way of resources that one child quickly became two. And there was another little boy who was about the same age. Only I think there were 48 kids at this orphanage. And, you know, the, the way that they, you know, in age, they kind of pecked together. Like they kind of had to be make a little pack. Uh, otherwise, the older kids would kind of pick on them and that sort of thing at the orphanage. So the ones who were about five, they clustered together. And this next little boy, Angela Pierre, he was um, a, a friend, became a friend quickly of EJ just for survival. I was going to say, so they could keep their food without getting their food taken from someone. And so so one became two very quickly. So then in, um, so what did that have been? April, I guess that, yeah, April of 2001, I went to Haiti. You stayed back with with our kids, and I went to Haiti for a couple weeks to bring home. We we gave Sean, you know, Angela Pierre, they called him Je, we called him Sean. And then Emmanuel Sean, we called him EJ. We still call him EJ. And so EJ and Sean were coming home. So we we brought them home, and it was just crazy. They didn't even know how to say yes in English. Like every single word was Creole. We knew a little Creole just in anticipation of bringing them home. We were so excited. But wow, was it a journey in the beginning. Uh, We prayed God would meet us. Remember, we had to sit up like one Haitian child, one American child, <laughs> like around the table, we had to do that just so the boys could learn English. Otherwise, they would just sort of stay together and talk Creole, and mm-hmm. they weren't learning anything. Do you remember the ordeal of them getting shots? Oh, yes. <laughs> wow. They had to get they- vaccinations when we when they first came home, and so, uh, yeah. Do you remember that? Well, I remember you telling me yeah. about being so awesome that you got them in the car, <laughs> and Austin knew because he spoke English that they were going to go get shots, and they didn't know. So they're have Austin's kind of crying, kind of sad, and they were like looking at him, like "What's wrong?" and trying to cheer him up. And- <laughs> yeah. In fact, Austin's getting sadder. He's he's like three now. He's sadder and sadder and sadder as we're getting closer to the doctor, and they're just like, "Oh, they knew his name." I don't think they knew any other words in English at that point. Austin, Austin, I think we had six days to get those vaccinations. So it was one of the first outings. And they were looking around so excited, and they loved the car, and they loved everything about it until um, we got into the doctor's office, and they pulled out that tray of needles. The tray of needles was a game changer for them. <laughs> Suddenly, Austin, who by now, he's like in the corner in a fetal position, you know, like, whoa. Don't hurt them. And uh, and now suddenly, you know, the boys realize what's coming. It's not the cute little airplanes on the ceiling. You know, it's not the the toys in the lobby in the waiting room, but it's it's shots. So then they begin to cry and begin to, you know, to wail. Actually, I think EJ was wailing. I think it was, why bonjour, why? Like, why remeu? I may have the words off, but 
in Creole, he's yelling, why, God, why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why, God, why? Very loud. And I could just, the whole doctor's office was so, so unsettled. I thought, here we go. This is going to be quite the exciting journey. And what do you remember about those early days? Like what things did the boys, um, what did they love? Or what, what, what took them by surprise? Well, I just remember, like, they would flip a switch. Yeah. Something we do every single day. We mm-hmm. just, you flip a switch and the light's on. And it was, they couldn't believe it. And they're flicking it back and forth. Or the, I remember the first time we had to bathe them. And because in Haiti, they would just get a hose and spray them. And even though Haiti's tropical, the water was cold. So they had no heated water. Right. So we, you draw the bath. And I remember trying to pick them up and they're fighting <laughs> almost like, you know, wouldn't even put their toes in. Ice baths you, weren't popular back then. You so. find, exactly. <laughs> that would be good, right? The ice bath. Right. But then you set them in as soon as you could get them low enough and their foot or hand, if they were pushing off, would touch it. And a big smile on their face. And, oh, it's hot water, warm water. Yeah. So I, I remember that, just, you know, the their joy of and, and I remember th- feeling guilty, I guess. Like, wow, how come I don't look at all this stuff and be that thankful? Yeah. So, it was, you know, the they, they say that when you adopt, you know, you change someone's life and you right. help them. But it, it really, it helped us too. Yeah. Well, it helped me. Absolutely. Just grow in faith and look at things differently. And Yeah. Well, the leftovers, I, I, I can picture still, like, seeing these kids who would normally get just one bowl, whatever the food was. It might have been a broth. It might have been, you know, rice or something. And, of course, before they came to the orphanage, the kids had nothing, and they would eat sometimes dirt cakes just so they wouldn't have the hunger pains that kept them awake at night. Literal dirt cakes. Literally, like dirt and mud and water, mm-hmm. mix it together, bake it over the fire, and give it to the kids so that their stomachs would be full enough to sleep. That they could sleep. Yeah. And, you know, you'd see the dirt and the stuff that they were eating. I mean, pigs were walking over it and chickens. And um, I, I still think to this day that the kids have rock solid stomachs because if you live long enough to be five, you're gonna, you know, your your gut biome is like tested and true at that point because you've had so much bacteria that you've already eaten. So when they got to eat, you know, unlimited, like more, like I can have second helpings, that was a huge, huge ordeal. Pancakes, like they were things they'd never had before. Um, fast food. Which you know we didn't try to do too much fast food, but Taco Bell or or like McDonald's where they just like a hamburger, and I can remember I think one time was uh, we like have as many as you want, and I feel like one of the kids had like seven or eight. Josh, I think. Yeah, Josh, he could eat. Yeah, so Josh. So what happened was we bring two home, right? And then we're just getting used to having two, and we but we had realized when I was in Haiti that he they were part of a trio. There were three little best friends, and so the third one thought I was bringing him home. And he, his name was Joshua, and so that's Joshua in English. And he had these just big brown eyes, and he was so sad at the thought that when his two buddies were going, that he wasn't going. So I called you up. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. I Where was were at you? work. I was at work. Okay. I was at work. I was teaching. And somebody came in and said, your wife's on the phone. And I thought, no, my wife's in Haiti. <laughs> So then, of course, I think, bad. I think, uh-oh, she's calling from media. Is she in jail or what's going <laughs> yeah, on? Yeah, naturally, I'd probably if I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just, I remember going to the phone. They had it in the back of, of an office there, and and you were crying, but it wasn't a, a sobbing cry, like something was real yeah. wrong. And I thought, what's going on? And then you said, 
honey, there's not two, there's three, there's three little boys. What are we going to do? And and I just remember we we like talked maybe for a couple minutes and then you said two, three, like we can do that. Like God will meet us in that right. place. What's the difference? Two well, you to described three. how they were best friends and they yeah. kind of relied on each other and they love sports, like, and here you are a coach. You know, it's like they this little boy belongs in this family. Mm-hmm. I can just knew that's what God was saying. So um, I had a little discussion with him before I left Haiti, and I said, "Tell me about your mom. Tell me about your family." And he said, "My mom." He told the translator, "My mom is leaving tomorrow with my brothers." So even though they were not biologically related, he already thought he that EJ and Sean were his brothers. So, yes. so we we were able to expedite his adoption, and in September, um, on September eighth, he came back, or he came home to the United States to our family. And three days later, nine eleven, they closed all adoptions to Haiti, mm-hmm. and it's never been easy since then. Well, I think Heart of God is no longer. It, it closed I mean, it after nine eleven. Our, our tragedy, for some reason, our tragedy. Um, changed everything in Haiti mm-hmm. when it yes. came to adoptions. And so now it can be years, years and years before you get a child. It's terrible the way the system is. But at that point, so he it only had taken six months. But what was crazy was Josh gets off the plane. Now, it's a pre-9-11. We're all at the gate mm-hmm. waiting for him. And he only speaks Creole. Right. <laughs> Not even, like, yes was just we. It was definitely no English at all. But his brothers, you know, the ones he knew from the orphanage, just six months later... Pretty much all they spoke was English. They picked up English really. so fast. And you remember Austin picked up some Creole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we found him playing with a car, and he said, "He said, Daddy, look, this car has shiz. Was it shiz? Which meant like like clock, like, like, a, like an engine right. in it. It had a motor in like, it. Get up and go. Like what? <laughs> he had learned some Creole along the way. So the boys loved food. They were super excited about going to the store. But one of our first outings, I think this was before we got Josh, before he came home, so in those early months. But we went to the zoo. We took Sean and EJ to the zoo. Kelsey, I think, had a broken ankle. So she was in a wagon. We're pulling her. And there were all these, you know, the animals were really lively that day. And the boys didn't know English yet. Right. We couldn't communicate. We thought, all right, let's. Kids love the zoo. Let's yeah, go to the zoo. Of course. Zoo. What a fun idea. Not so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love still to know to this day. I don't really know what were they thinking. Right. But I think like, their eyes got bigger and bigger. Like, please do not leave us here. <laughs> like, there are lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Oh, my. They were very, <laughs> they were very nervous. Um, so we, we made it a short trip. And we left and we headed to the supermarket. Because we just had to get food. We weren't like we were going through a lot of food at that point, and uh, they'd never been to a supermarket. So picture kids who were eating dirt cakes to survive. Now we go to a supermarket, and by then Sean had picked up this sort of thing that he would say. Um, he would see something exciting, a light switch. You know that we had electricity, or and what he would his whole body like you when you get excited. What do you do? I go. Right. He was like that. <laughs> Only his thing was he'd get himself all positioned and he would say, sheet. And we'd be like, sheet. What is that? What, what is that? Creole world. We right? had a little dictionary. We're like, what? Again, there wasn't even the internet at that point. We couldn't even like look it up through a translation device, but it was sheet. Hmm, what is this? And we looked, we couldn't find anything. So we had finally called the translator. We said, look, our son gets really excited. He's all worked up and he just says, what is that? What's he saying? 
like, oh my goodness, or like, wow. And she said, well, hmm, actually, a little American slang has made its way into the Haitian culture. (laughs) She said, just be glad, you know, that he has an accent. Yes. I said, wait, are you telling me that my son has been cussing? (laughs) He's been like cussing this whole time. Every time he's he's excited. (laughs) I said, okay. So we sat him down, told him he could say, shoot. Do you remember like... Right. Yeah, just in a know. broken, broken. Like sure, like we were like no sheet, but shoot, right. shoot. So Get he was super, across. super receptive to that. Wanted to please and so kind, and so he started saying shoot. But that day, after the zoo, we go into the store, and here we are, me and you. We've got you know two, we've got three white kids, two black kids. We're speaking. We're from different cultures, different languages. We're like we're kind of a, a, a little bit of a ragtag bunch coming in from the zoo. Mm-hmm. They're already scared. And now they see all of this food. What did they see first? First they saw the, the mangoes. Remember they had oh, yeah. mangoes back in They used to take rocks. Yeah. They would see mangoes up in a tree, and they would take the rocks. All the, you know, all the kids would join together and throw rocks at it. And whoever hit it, run over and get it. Yes. And even then they would talk about how they would share it, though. I mean, here they are starving. Yeah. They would share. So we, we walk in, the very first thing is the fruit section, and there's mangoes. And... Like stacked to the ceiling. They're just like, what? We don't have to throw any rocks. And I, rem- I can remember them because you kind of whatever you said, like go ahead and you know get one get, or you whatever. Can help yourself. Get a get a mango. So I remember looking over and they're they're <laughs> like this, and then I remember them like trying to put it down their jackets <laughs> and trying to get as many as they could. Like we found the mother load. Yes. Like here look, it is. Look at all, all these time. mangoes. Oh my goodness! So they put the cart and they, oh, we had like ten mangoes. It like, was okay, incredible. we can do that. We can bring home ten mangoes. So we got the mangoes. We go down a few more aisles, and there's the cereal aisle. And I don't know what it is about cereal, boys and cereal, but boys love cereal. There's just a thing. Like, and they had just had it, like I think the day before for yeah, the first time. Yeah, but didn't know like what. Yeah, so right. they understood what they it knew was. what it was, and they loved it. Right, but they'd never. So here we're at like a store with like. Uh, not Costco, but like a big box kind of store, and stacked almost to the ceiling are just these boxes of cereal. It's like it was like a, a child's paradise. So Sean and Josh round the corner, they stop, or Sean and AJ, I guess, or, and they stop and they look and they go, and then Sean just <laughs> super loud, super loud, shoppers all over. We're like, okay, and so then Austin, who's three, you know, he's now he's in the cart. But he knows what he's not. He knows what's happening. He knows what the word is. Somehow he figured out what he would, not that he would know the word, but he knew what not to say. So he said, Sean, don't say, and he said the word. He said, say shoot. But he, now we heard him say it. And, you know, he's saying it and without the accent. So um, people are giving us side glances. Do you remember? I remember that lady kind of, I thought for sure she was going to write our name, right. you know. It was too funny. Because like you said, it's different colors. You know, Different loud, languages, excited. cussing as we go through the store. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was kind of a picture of our life during those days as the kids learned English and they learned how to handle American culture and just go to school. All of the things there was so much going on. Well, do you remember speaking of American culture? They had, you know, the Fourth of July. You have American flag shirts, right? And they were so proud of that, and they wore it all the time. All the time. They wanted to be American, and they just yes. loved America. And they once loved again, their family. A reflection of like, wow, we just take things for granted. Right. That's true. Yeah. But God met us along the way in that. And I, I, I can thank you and I how often we looked at James one twenty seven. Mm-hmm. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And that kind of became, it's like, okay, we adopted a child. We did what God asked. But now we have to help them not to be polluted by the world right. and train them up in the way they should go, which was just an incredible joy, a challenge, um, lots of laughter, all the fun things. We were either at a soccer game or at one of Kelsey or Tyler's performances every weekend. It felt like midweek practices and rehearsals are happening. And at one point, we were going to take a camping trip. <laughs> we were packing things up. We had the cooler out. And... We heard the kids singing because Kelsey and Tyler, they sang so much that uh, everybody sang. You know, everyone loves singing in our family. Uh, whether we were good at it or not, like you can sing. I, I'm, I, I'll sing in heaven, but, but we sang <laughs> even though. And I heard the kids singing and I leaned closer to hear what they were singing. I recognized the tune, but the kids were singing, he is exhausted, the king <laughs> is exhausted on high. <laughs> I thought... That's really how they, <laughs> that's how they feel it because overall there was a sense of as much as there was exhilaration and joy and compassion, there was also a lot um, of exhaustion during oh, those yeah. days. Well, you just double overnight. Yeah, you, have you doubled our kids family. And then boom. Yeah, by, by September of 2001. And then there was, everything was patriotic in the wake of 9-11. Not exactly. Uh, so they, I think Josh, who'd only been home three days, didn't really comprehend what had happened, obviously, but he understood that we all were patriotic. Everybody had, he, I think he wore his red, white, blue shirt for a year. Like, it was just, of course we're happy. Of course this is the most amazing place in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, God had blessed them so much. One of the reasons we sang is because the language we all knew in English was praise songs. Their praise songs that, uh, and worship uh, were, the, were the things that they were, those were the words they knew in English. So right. their praise time at the orphanage was in English, right. and when they came, we would you would get the guitar out and we would sing praise songs. That's the only English they knew, right? It was now, di- different color, different culture, but right. same Christ. That's what so. it was, exactly. And uh, and so, of course, you know, getting a word or two off was understandable. And the fact that he thought it was he is exhausted. (laughs) We laughed. We enjoyed that so much. But, you know, we also, as the kids, if there would be a disagreement or something, I can remember teaching them compassion for each other. So, you know, if um, Tyler did something that, you know, with hurt Josh or Sean or something, their feelings or, you know, took a toy they were using or whatever, we would say, remember, like, they're here. They came here from another country. They left everything they know to come here. So let's have compassion. And then if, you know, Josh would take something that belonged to Tyler or whatever, just some sort of disagreement would erupt and or Sean or whatever. And then we would say, now remember, these kids had this family first. Like they were here and they took a vote and they voted for you. Mm-hmm. And now we're all a family and these are your best friends. The ones sitting around the dinner table are your very best friends. So let's always remember to have kindness in our voice and kindness in our actions. And we did that over and over again. And I felt like by the time the kids were in high school, you know, people would say, well, what's the worst part about adopting? And we just didn't even have an answer. We didn't, right. It was so beautiful and so fun. Kelsey was the most amazing older sister. She was so encouraging. At every soccer game, she'd bring her friends. Her friends loved our all the five boys. You know, just thought that it was so amazing that Kelsey had you know brothers, so many brothers and um, brothers from you know, natural born brothers, Haitian brothers. They just loved it. And I just think compassion and kindness was a big part of those years. You know, um, 
you might be being called to do something in response to James one twenty seven. Maybe it's adopt a child. Maybe it's check out our One Chance Foundation where we give grants to people who are adopting um, internationally, domestically, mm-hmm. or even embryo adoption. Or maybe you're supposed to sponsor a child. Uh, through Compassion, we sponsor several children, and it's an incredible experience to do that. Maybe you're supposed to help widows. Maybe there's some other way that God's calling you to help, but um, our joy is complete when we serve. That's where we find the joy of the Lord, that this is just earth, and whatever it is that he's calling you today to do, do that thing. Don't be afraid. Take that jump. Uh, it's kind of like making the movie, right? Yes. Um We'll talk about that in other episodes too, but but when God is calling you to do something, set your fear aside, put your face forward, pray for his wisdom and his favor and do it. Trust him. Yeah, trust him. What were your what were takeaways that you had out of that time? What would you say? What would if you had to give advice to somebody thinking about adopting? Well, I just think obviously pray. I mean it's gonna be redundant, but just you gotta really pray about it. Uh, be realistic. Adoption can be hard, like, mm-hmm. like you were saying. It is hard. I mean, there's no question. Right. It's hard. It, it changes everything. It changes yeah. your the dynamics of the family you have now. Yeah. Uh, it changes. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, if you're feeling called, just pray about it. Have your whole family involved. Pray about it and uh, take it before the Lord and, and just really listen to what He's saying. Because yeah. a lot of times we think we want something or oh, this looks like it would be fun. But you're not in it for fun. You're in it. I mean, we had, we were in charge of three other souls now, right? To lead to the Lord, and mm-hmm. so one of my favorite memories was the day that you got into our pool in Washington State. We raised our kids really there. We lived there for 13 years before we moved here and baptized all four boys mm-hmm. and our nephew. And you, you had been homeschooling the boys. You homeschooled them for middle school years. Yes. And uh, what a special moment that was just to look out there and to see, you know, there's kids. I mean, in our family, in our own family, we had six kids from four different sets of parents. Mm-hmm. So it was crazy, but it was beautiful, and it was of God. He had led it. He had opened the door and provided the means, and he met us every step of the way. Right. Well, because we're all adopted. If we have Jesus as our Savior, right? That's right. That's, That's what right. the Bible says. Yeah. A cool thing, so. too, today, and it, the book isn't out yet, but you know, EJ has written a book called Hello, My Name is Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. And that book is being published by Tyndale, and it will be uh, in stores in about a year. And it's a children's book about his experience living in Haiti and the beauty of it, and then the letting go, the saying goodbye, and the joy of coming to the United States and meeting his forever family. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful book. It's it's full of color. Um, and so that'll be something to look forward to. But how beautiful to reach the other side for EJ, especially just watching his story play out and how he loves adoption and how much he would love to give back. He wants to help kids mm-hmm. that are orphans. Uh, so it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see right. that compassion come full circle. Exactly. Well, um, next week we are going to talk... Um, and you're going to be my guest, by the way, next week. I don't know if you knew that, but you are my guest next week. My dad was my biggest fan, and he would always tell me when I would write something and I would bring it to him, he would say, Karen, one day everyone is going to know you're writing. And uh, then something happened, and he forgot. He forgot the one thing that I thought defined his love for me. He forgot that I was an author, something tragic that changed everything. And I'll talk about that with you next week. Want to end up praying here? Let's do that.
Father, once again, thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving all of us. Your word says that you don't want anyone to perish and that if we would all come to accept Jesus and live for him, Father Lord, that we are adopted into the family. I thank you so much for the gifts we have, for the time we have, and may we use it to further your kingdom. It's in your powerful name that I pray. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.